In, uh, in Matthew's gospel in chapter 19, it says that, uh, that a man approaches Jesus and says, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Ask this question. And Jesus responds with a question and says, why do you ask what is good? It's a great moment of scripture and and one that we might sit in for, for a moment or, or for a while, actually, to, to just realize how often people ask Jesus questions in Scripture. Have you ever noticed that in the Gospels, how often the disciples or the, the Pharisees or the, the leaders of the church or even people who just experienced that they, they ask Jesus questions? And have you ever noticed how often Jesus answers with a question? There's something about questions, particularly in the Gospels and in the New Testament. I think, I think sometimes we think of faith as having all the answers. You ever think about faith that way? Like, like oh, the, those people who have faith, they've got it all figured out. They, they know all the, all the right answers. But I wonder if there's something about faith that isn't about having all the answers. I mean, we, we believe in a God that is, that is not completely knowable, a God that is beyond us, which means there are always going to be questions. I think the truth is that, that faith is about embracing the fact that we don't have all the answers, but continuing to ask better and better questions, continuing to search the scriptures for, for truth and, and for what it has to say to us about, about our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with God this month at Clay Church, kind of in that, in that spirit, the rest of April, we're going to be, we're going to be asking questions. We're going to continue digging into, into Matthew's gospel. We've been in Matthew's gospel the, the whole year so far, and we've looked at different angles. But for the next three weeks, we're going to just ask some tough questions, and then we're going to dive into Scripture, and we're going to, we're going to search and see what the Bible has to say about those questions. Like this one for today. Is hell real? You might be asking, who thought that was a good idea right after Easter? <laughs> I've been asking that question all week. <clears throat> it was me, of course. But, but there's this piece of the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is a creed that was written in the early church as they were wrestling with what they believed about God and, and Jesus. And there's this piece in some versions of the Apostles' Creed that actually say that Jesus descended into hell before he was raised into heaven. And so it may be worth asking, what, what does that mean? What does it mean that he descended into hell? Or what, what is hell? Is hell? Is hell real? And to be honest, as a pastor, people will often ask that question. Like, do you believe in hell? And then they, I think, I think what drives it is like the young man who asked about eternal life. There's just this question of, of what it means to be eternal beings and what that looks like beyond the grave and a, and a natural tendency of us to wrestle with that. So we're going to wrestle with that question today. And, uh, and to do that, we need to pray. Let's pray. Holy God, as we wrestle with this question today, I just ask that you open our hearts to, to hear what you'd have to say to each one of us. Open our minds to, to gain a, a better understanding of your word in Scripture. And God, just, 
in these questions, even the ones that don't have answers, I just pray that you might lead us into a, a deeper relationship with you, a deeper, a deeper sense of your presence in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So is hell real? I, uh, I asked my daughter that question this week, and, uh, and she said she didn't know. What did I think? And I said, I don't know. Like, let's flip a coin, and that will tell us if hell is real. And she laughed, because she thought I was joking. But I got a coin. And so this morning, I figured we'd just flip it, because God spoke through lots in the Bible, like they drew lots. So I figure if we just flip a coin, it will tell us, heads, hell is real, tails, hell is not real. Are you ready? Here we go. It is heads, hell is real. Now we're going to do two out of three, because I don't want to deal with that. (laughs) Right? I, I jest a little bit, because hell is not easy to talk about. Like, there's this part of us that I think doesn't want hell to be real. It's, it's more fun to share a joke and laugh a little and then kind of brush it off. I know, I know there are people who, I, who love having theological conversations who, when it comes to hell, they're like, no, nah, I don't really want to, I don't want to even think about that. I just want to stay focused on heaven. Let's not, let's not talk about the, the, that other, other side of, of this. I get it. And I I don't know that I want to talk about hell either. I don't want to think about any possibility that I might end up there. I don't want to think that anyone I have known might be there. But here's the thing. Jesus talks about these concepts that we associate with hell today. He talks about the concepts of punishment and evil and justice and judgment and separation from God, which which I think means that Jesus wants his followers to ask these questions, to search, to, to think. So while it may be uncomfortable, I think it might also be vital to our faith and our understanding. As a launching point for this, we're going to um, look at Matthew 13 in a minute, if you wanted to turn to Matthew 13 in your Bibles. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest, and our, our tech team is going to love this. I'm it's, at some point, I think, probably really ditching my notes, because it feels so weird to stand up and, like, preach about hell. Because one of the things, one of the things that I, I have struggled with personally around the topic of hell is how the, the church in some ways in its history, has used hell as like a weapon, right? Get in line with us or you're going to hell. Um, or, or believe what we do or you're going to hell. And, and it feels like if I'm standing up there, I stand in that tradition. I know that's not entirely true. So I, I just want to invite you for a moment. I've done this before. I want to just invite us to imagine we're, we're at a dinner table together. Man, food would be good right about now, wouldn't it? Just imagine we're at a, at a dinner table together and we're, we're having this conversation and we've got some questions and I'm just sharing some of the things I've, I've learned in, in studying this. Before we get to Matthew 13, 
One of the things we probably ought to understand about the concepts of the afterlife is, is what was around before Jesus, because Jesus is, is building on a, on a foundation of what, what people have understood and what they've known. And, and this, uh, this foundation um, included a biblical worldview that, that much of the Old Testament was written out of, um, that includes this word that we find in the Old Testament, it, it'll say Sheol. And if you look at a King James version of the Bible, it translates that as hell, but it's not a good translation. In fact, a good translation, there's no sort of Jewish equivalent for the word hell. So if you have a really good translation, you won't find hell in the Old Testament. You'll find stories of, of judgment and God's judgment. You'll find stories of justice, but you won't find like the concept or the conceptual word that we sometimes use in the New Testament for hell. What you will find is Sheol. And it was, Sheol comes from this biblical worldview where where the world was created, right? And there's the, there's the land, and there's sky, and there's waters, right? People know that. They can look around the world and see that. But they believe the world is flat. So there must be pillars holding it up. And then something has to separate the, the waters. And so they believe there's like a, a, a firmament, a, a, like a big dome. And there are the oceans of heaven that are above the dome, and God or the gods, depending on what your religion was, resides even beyond that. That's where the, the heavens are, not as a dwelling place, but where God is. Uh, this is just a fun side note. Where does rain come from? Well, sometimes that dome gets leaks, and rain comes out through the, through the leaks in the dome. And then, you've either been or you've heard stories about what's underground, Water comes from underground, so there must be rivers underground. Lava comes out of volcanoes from underground, so there must be lakes of fire underground. And there are caves underground where there's no light, and if you've been in them for a long time, you know it can be kind of a hapless place. Take this worldview, and you begin to hear these ideas of the afterlife emerging. Sheol is not hell as we think about it today. Sheol in this biblical worldview and understanding is the place where the dead go. It's where the souls reside. There can be suffering there, but it, not necessarily suffering there. And then we begin to see in these other aspects of the worldview, the, the river underwater, if you think of sticks in Greek mythology, and the, the lakes of fire, if we think about, uh, think about Revelation and biblical stories, we begin to see where these, where these ideas emerge. So on that foundation, I want to invite us to jump into Matthew 13 for a moment, because Jesus tells this story in Matthew 13, he's talking about seeds and planting seeds. And then he, he tells this story about a man who went out and, and planted seeds in his field. And then somebody came in the night and planted weeds alongside them. And the servants realized that this has happened, that there's more growing out there than just the, than just the wheat that had been planted. And they come to the, to the owner, to the farmer, and they say, there are weeds out there. And the farmer says, yep, the, the enemy has planted those. And they say, should we pull them up? And the farmer says, no. The owner of the land says, no, don't pull them up, because if you pull them up, you're likely to pull the good along with them. So let them grow, and when they reach full maturity, when it's time for the harvest, then harvesters will be sent in. And the harvesters will divide 
the weeds from the wheat, and the wheat will go um, and be fruitful, and the weeds will be bundled and thrown into the furnace. A little time after that, the disciples, they come to Jesus, like they do, asking questions, and they're like, uh, we didn't quite understand that. Could you give us some more detail? Like, could you fill this out for us? Could you tell us some more? And this is, uh, this is what it says in Matthew 13, starting in verse 37. This is how Jesus answers them. Jesus replied, the one who plants the good seed is the human one. The field is the world, and the good seeds are the followers of the kingdom. But the weeds are the followers of the evil one. The enemy who planted them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the present age. The harvesters are the angels. Just as people gathered weeds and burned them in the fire, so it will be at the end of the present age. The human one will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that cause people to fall away and all people who sin. He will throw them into the burning furnace. People there will be weeping and grinding their teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Those who have ears should hear. Now, I don't know what you hear when you hear those, those words, but uh, for me, there are like two things happening here, and, and I wonder about the disciples as well, like frustrating and frightening are the two things I'd use to describe this passage. Frustrating because Jesus didn't say that, like the disciples wanted to know, how do we get prepared for this? What should we be doing? And Jesus, he identifies the characters, like the farmer is, the, is, is God or the son of, son of man and the, the harvesters of the angels, like he identifies them, but he doesn't really explain what they should do. But then there's the frightening part. And did, did you hear who's going to be in the blazing furnace, in the fiery furnace? Everyone who sins. Now, I don't know about you, but your pastor sins sometimes. Paul, writing a little bit after the time of Jesus, he, he says that, that we're all sinners, essentially, in, in need of a Savior. He talks about his own, his own sins. So does that mean that we are all going to be in the furnace because of our sins? Does it mean that we have to be perfect to avoid that? Is it even possible to be perfect as human beings? What is Jesus trying to tell his followers? What is, what is Jesus trying to tell us? Now you understand why this sermon series is called Questions Welcome. Right, there's a lot to wrestle with here. So let's, let's wrestle for a moment. One of the first things we might wrestle with in this passage is just the very concept of, of hell. I don't know if you noticed this, but this passage doesn't say anything about hell. Did anyone else think of like hell when you thought of the, the fiery furnace and, and being burned, right? Many of us probably thought of that because that's how our minds have been wired by culture. 
not necessarily by the Bible, but by culture. Dante's Inferno talks about the, the levels of hell and, and going to hell as, and being separate from, from heaven and, and draws this out in a, in a way that, that culture has told us this whole story. And then other, other cultural sources inform our images of what the devil is like, what the devil looks like, and, and we get this image of, of tortured souls being punished for their, for their sins, and we get all of these images in our head, and some of them are based in scriptural truth, but lots of them actually are just fiction. So one of the things we, we might be invited to do is really go back into the Bible and say, which which of my understandings comes from the Bible and, and which doesn't? And in this case, this passage doesn't actually say anything about hell. And where it talks about the fiery furnace, the fiery furnace is the exact same language, the exact same words that are used in the Septuagint in the Greek translation of the, of the Old Testament for the fiery furnace in the book of Daniel. Now, for those that don't know that story, in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which are such fun names to say, which is why uh, it's a great, you know, kid's story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, are, are living um, in, the, in the land of Nebuchadnezzar, and he wants everyone to bow down to him. He's built this big idol. He wants everybody to worship him. And they say, we won't do it. And he says, if you don't do it, I'm going to throw you into a furnace. And they say, we're not going to do it. We believe in the one true God. And so Nebuchadnezzar has them thrown into a furnace. And in the furnace, they are not consumed. Instead, a fourth figure shows up and is shining in their midst. For those that are hearing Jesus tell this story in this parable, they would have immediately made the connection to the story in the book of Daniel. They would have gone there right away. Uh, boys in particular, um, in, that, in the culture at the time, they memorized the Old Testament. By the time they were 10 to, 10 to 12, they knew the Torah. By the time they were in their early teens, they knew uh, all the books of the prophets. They knew them by heart. They memorized it all. So as soon as Jesus said that, they would have gone, oh, the story of Daniel. What's the story of Daniel about? This, is, this parable must have a link to the story of Daniel. What's that about? Well, the story of Daniel is about faithfulness in the midst of weeds, faithfulness in the midst of those things that can draw you away from worshiping the one God and how God will save, God will deliver those who stay faithful. Yes, this story has an aspect of, of fire and God offering justice and and instituting God's kingdom, removing the, the things that cause suffering and, and hurt. But at its heart, Jesus is, is talking about how to experience deliverance, salvation. There's another piece we should notice in this story as we think about heaven and hell and the way that the church has understood it. The original parable, it, it says, right, that there are weeds and, and wheat, and they're growing at the same time. And actually, the word it uses for the, for the weeds is a specific kind of weed that looks a whole lot like wheat. And, and the story says that they grow up together, and the servants come, and they're like, should we pull out the weeds? And what does the farmer say? No, because you can't tell which is good and which is bad. 
You might pull out the good instead of the bad. It's not yours to harvest. It's not yours to decide who is going to have life in the eternal kingdom and and who is not. That's not for you to decide. It's actually a fun note on the, on the wheat and the, and the tares. It's the name for the wheat. They grow at about the same time, about the same pace, and they look very similar. When the, you can't really tell them apart. I mean, they, they, just by sight, it's, it's hard to tell. But when they come to fruition, when they, when they bear their fruit or their grain, in the case of wheat, the wheat bends over and the tares stand straight up. That's how you tell the difference. Which is interesting to think about in the, it's just kind of an aside in the story, but right? The, the wheat bends over humility before God. The tares stand straight up. I don't need God. I can do it on my own. And the angels then come for the harvest. So you may notice at this point, like this is all great, Pastor Brian, but you haven't really answered if hell is real. And you're right, I haven't. And I don't know that I will, except, except maybe to offer a, a few thoughts out of, out of Matthew 13 and how we read this scripture and the, and the context and how we might apply that as we think about this concept and this idea of hell in our own lives. The first, the first thought would be this, this passage doesn't mention hell. When hell is mentioned in the Bible, it's used, the word is used 12 times, it's Gehenna. And it appears 11 of those times in the gospel, actually six of those in Matthew. And when it's used, it, it, the word Gehenna refers to an actual place, not some, not hell itself, but it, uh, it applies to a valley outside of Jerusalem. And in this valley outside of Jerusalem, we, we know today from from excavation and research that it was a burial valley. There were dead bodies there, which mean, would mean that areas of it, of it were unclean to the Jewish people. It was an area of cremation where bodies were burned. And we also know that it was a place of great evil because the Bible, the Old Testament, tells us that kings of Israel took part in sacrifices of children to other gods in that valley. So when Jesus references hell, he is referencing a very real place where people know there is real evil and pain. He's referencing something people people know, stories people know. And then, as we think about Matthew 13 and these, these ongoing conversations that Jesus is having about being cast out into the darkness or those places with weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's worth noting that almost always when Jesus says these words, he's not speaking to non-believers or even those who are lost. He's speaking to those that are gathered around him, to the disciples, to the Pharisees, to the teachers of the law, to the leaders of the people. And he's saying to them that the people who are going to experience this darkness are those who are not being good stewards of the gifts that have been given to them. The ones who are going to experience this are those who cannot 
contain their lust? It's actually an interesting question about how literal all of this is. In the same passage, Jesus says, if your, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Does he mean that literally? If your eye causes you to sin, to, to pluck it out. And then he'll say, and, and it would be better for you than to be thrown into the fires of Gehenna, into the, in, better than you to be thrown into the evil of this valley to, to stop from this evil. When we think of the weeping and, and gnashing of, of teeth, gnashing of teeth was a, a response in the Old Testament of anger. Now, it certainly can also be a response to suffering, but it's almost like Jesus is saying, those who, those who don't live by this way that I'm teaching, who, who know God, who should know the love and grace and mercy and offer it to others, if they don't live by this, they're going to find themselves cut off because they've cut themselves off and they're going to be angry and they're going to be sad and they're going to experience it as deep and utter and outer darkness. So stay connected to me. Because the others who end up in that place of darkness are those who fail to care for their neighbor, who fail to meet the needs of others. Is hell real? The Bible talks about these concepts that I think we have to wrestle with. And, and this is one of, the, one of the ways I wrestle. It, it may be more questions than answers, but if God created us with free will, if God created us with an opportunity to choose relationship with God, to choose good, or to choose to turn away and try and do it on our own and, 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 and choose even evil, then we're just puppets if we don't hold on to that free will. So does that free will exist even beyond the grave? And if it does, if it does, and God is going to create this heavenly kingdom, this is what we believe, God is creating this heavenly kingdom, it's going to be free of pain and suffering and tears and hurt, then those who want it their own way, who don't care if others hurt or suffer, is it not true that God would have to have somewhere else for them to dwell in eternity? Is hell real? And what does that mean for us as, as, we, as we wrestle? You know, I, I, I uh, had this essentially ritual I went through with my daughter Ella for a while. I, by the way, I asked her if I could tell this story. I didn't ask her about the first one. I may be in trouble. Um, but I asked her if I could tell this story. When she was younger, she would, in the evenings usually, sometimes in the morning, she'd be like, Dad, do I have to go to school today? Maybe some of you have had this experience. Um, Dad, do I have to go to school today? And, uh, and my answer, you know, at first was, yes, you got to go to school today. Like, you don't have a choice. And then I started thinking, wait a minute. Like, if so, it's just about what Dad wants. It's, she doesn't own any of this. And so, as she got a little bit older, um, she'd go, Dad, do I have to go to school today, or do I have to go to school tomorrow? And I'd say, no. And then she got smart, and she'd be like, okay, what do you mean no? And I'd say, well, I mean, if you don't go to school, here are the consequences. Like, here are the things that are going to happen. And eventually, she stopped asking about the consequences, because she knew. She'd just ask, and I'd be like, no, you don't have to. She'd be like, fine, I'll go, <laughs> right? I mean, there's this, but I think about that, and I think, like, 
if I had just kept saying, you've got to go to school, and hadn't given her any choice in the matter, then it wouldn't have been her life. She knows that she has a choice in the matter. I wonder about our lives. Are heaven and hell not important so that we understand that we have choice in the matter? And maybe even more important, that our choices now matter. Right, that sometimes I think uh, in the past we've, we've thought of the end times in two steps. There's now, and then there's the division, and there'll be heaven and hell. Two steps. But these stories that Jesus tells imply that there's something else. There's, there's the past and, and the way that faithful people have lived, and then there's the coming of Jesus, and there's this in-between time where the kingdom is coming, and we get to decide if we're going to be part of it. And then we live in to this kingdom, and, and Revelation actually says that heaven is going to meet earth. Not that we're going to go somewhere else into another whole different place, but that God is going to renew this one. And in that case, the decisions that we make right now, how we care, how we love, the concern we share for others, the way we put ourselves in right relationship with God right now, it matters now as we give people glimpses of the kingdom and for eternity. This is a lot. <laughs> I, I sit here and I think, whoa, there's a, there's a whole, whole lot of thoughts going on in my head. In the first service, I delivered it like as a standing sermon and I got to the end, I'm like, there are more things I wanted to say. And I think I'm there again in this, in this service, but, but maybe we should end here. Maybe we should end with this, with this truth. We believe, we believe in life after death. I believe in life after death. I believe there is a kingdom of heaven, a kingdom of God beyond the grave. And I think that with all of Jesus' teaching, what he wants us to know, what he wants us to feel, what he wants to experience is the glory and the goodness of deepening our relationship with him in the here and now and knowing that our actions and our words, they will help, they will help God and help us shape the kingdom that is to come. I think Jesus wants us to hear that invitation. And I think Jesus also wants us to know that we do live in an age where there are wheat and tares, there are wheat and weeds. And the weeds want to grab us and, and pull us to, to grow outside of, of God's love and, and to, to think that we can grow on our own. And so all of this about hell, all of this about punishment, all of this about justice is God saying, live into my goodness. I promise to set things right. And I promise in Jesus Christ that if you just seek what is good and true, if you just seek me and my love and mercy and you share it, your actions, your words, the truth you live, You'll experience my kingdom both in the now and in the evermore. Amen.